morning, everybody. We are continuing our series on 2 Corinthians, and we're coming to the end of a section of this letter. If you recall, a few weeks ago, Pastor Mario preached on chapter 8, and he introduced the idea of the collection, uh, something that the churches in that time, in that geographic area, large geographic area, took part in together to watch out for one another, to provide for one another, to help one another. And this last section of chapter 9 is, is still a continuation of that same topic of conversation. So we're still looking at this same idea of the collection. Uh, and this idea of how do churches relate to one another, the responsibility the churches have to one another. But then really bigger picture, how are we called to live in our Christian life in terms of the approach that we take to what we own and what we have. And so this section in, in chapter 9 uh, really is a very fascinating bookend to what Mario looked at a few weeks ago where giving is tied to grace and it's tied to God's grace. And when you're talking about a topic like giving, it can be uncomfortable for some people. It's a topic that gets abused frequently. It's a topic that gets taken out of context frequently, twisted, mishandled. And so it's, it's always and everything important to look at what the scripture says and allow that to define our approach. But then especially when it comes to these topics that people have had their toes stepped on or maybe been beaten over the head with or treated wrongly because of it, it's, it's of utmost importance that we allow scripture to define our approach and our understanding to these things. So as we wrap up in chapter 9 today, we'll be concluding that same idea and we'll be looking at how else scripture talks about the idea of giving, the concept of giving, the principle of it. If you would, out of respect for God's word, we're going to be in chapter 9, starting in verse 6. And if you're able, please rise. This is 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are holy and that you are worthy and that we have the opportunity to gather and declare your praises. Lord, may your holiness be on display when we gather. May we reflect your compassion and your kindness. May we reflect your truth and your justice. May we reflect you in this time as we continue to worship you by engaging with your word. May we do so open to you and submitted to you in your authority. God, may this be from you. May this have nothing to do with me. May we listen in a holy manner. And may we respond in a way that gives glory to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
and be seated. So the first verse there in that section, I'm going to reread it, and we're going to look at this verse and make sure we understand this verse, because we're talking about verses that can be twisted. This is a verse that gets twisted, unfortunately and tragically. Chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What's he getting at? What's he getting at with this idea of sowing and reaping? Bountifully, sparingly, what you put out, you get back. Is this some sort of like karma thing? You know, if you put good vibes and energy into the world, you get good vibes and energy. Like, what's he getting at here? Well, what's Scripture say when it talks about this idea of the Christian sowing and reaping? Let's look at Proverbs 22, verses 4 and 8. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. James 3.18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then you have Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When Scripture is talking about sowing and reaping, it's not talking about sow a faith seed to get a financial blessing. Hey, Pastor Sam wants to go on vacation, so I just need you guys to all sow a faith seed and then you'll reap this financial blessing. And whatever you contribute towards my private jet and my trip, you'll get back in some way. Just sow that faith seed and you'll get a raise this week. That's not even remotely close to what Scripture is saying. What it's talking about time and time again, what God lays out for in His Word time and time again, is that those who practice righteousness, those who pursue Christ, those who pursue the things of the Lord, those who walk in step with the Holy Spirit, they see the blessing of it. God gives the blessing of it. What's He say in Malachi? He says, look, give me what I am due. Bring me what I am due and see if I do not pour out on you more than you can possibly hold on to. It says that God promises, look, when we walk in step with Him, when we sow righteousness, when we live, when we actively work towards these holy things, when we make these efforts, God promises a harvest. I mean, think about the act of sowing. The act, the deliberate nature of that act. Do you just, if I had seeds and I started sowing them in this room, would we reap anything? Rebecca would reap more work. But no, I can't expect anything to grow. Why? Because I'm sowing them onto carpet that's over top of concrete. So if I'm going to sow something and expect it to produce, I have to do what? I have to prepare ahead of time. I have to work the land. I have to put thought into this. We have a garden at home. It's done exceedingly well in some areas and surprisingly nothing in other areas. Can't totally figure it out. We're learning this. But what did we do once we sowed those seeds? Did we just leave them alone? You toss them and then you forget about them. No. 
Hey, it hasn't rained in a week. We need to go water those seeds. Hey, we need to pick the weeds from those seeds. Hey, we need to be thoughtful about what plants we put next to one another so that the shade plants don't grow up and over, you know, like it takes thought, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes ownership. So if we are sowing the things that please the Spirit, it means, okay, we're thinking about how has God called me to live? We're being deliberate in our actions to prep the ground, to put the work in, to put the sweat in, the time, the investment. We're serious about righteousness, so we are doing the things that God calls us to do that lead to holiness, that lead to His blessing. So when he's talking about whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, this isn't a, okay, I just want my bank account to go up. This comes back to, am I pursuing holiness? Am I making, what's it say in, in Peter? Make every effort to add to these things in increasing measure. Are we sowing? Are we working towards this? And then God says, when you do that, when you give me your life, when you give me your effort, when you give me your best, there is a harvest. There is a harvest. And it is commensurate. It is indicative of the initial effort put in. It is so much fun to be with someone when that light bulb moment clicks and they profess Jesus as Lord. Like when the conviction hits, and it's not a light, but like it's the Holy Spirit working in their heart. But to get to be there is, is incredible. It is, it is the most mind-blowing experience to be able to take part in. Or to know someone who you worked for for years, you, you talked with, you engaged with, and you find out later they came to Christ. Like, it is such a blast to be able to say, like, maybe I wasn't there at the finish line, but I was there halfway through. I was the one who started. Or like, to, be, to be able to say, God allowed me, I was able to be part of someone's story of them coming to Christ is an inexpressible joy. You know who I know who has the most stories like that? who has the most stories of people that they worked with, they prayed with, they spent time, they had conversations with, they were there at the finish line, they were there. Like the person I know who has the most fun stories to celebrate like that is my dad. And you know why? Because he's also the one I know who's put the most work in. He's the one I know who most talks to strangers, who doesn't get on a plane without saying, okay, Lord, let my seatmates ask me questions. If I'm at a conference every day, I want like, my dad has sowed the most, and so I've gotten to see his testimony of reaping the most. I've never gotten to be there when anyone accepts Christ. Have you shared Christ with anyone? No. Okay. Well, then no, you're not going to get to be there. I've gotten to be there. God's been good. God's been kind. I've gotten to be there. It's never been like I'm walking past and some stranger randomly says, hey, come here, I want you to help me accept Christ. Could God do that? Sure, God can do whatever he wants. But if, I'm wanna, if I want to reap, if I want to see the blessings of a harvest, am I sowing for it? Am I actively, intentionally pursuing harvest? Am I making the effort? Am I structuring my life around growing in righteousness, living for the Lord? Or am I just kind of going about my own way and hoping that, hey, you know what? Maybe magically the harvest will appear on my doorstep. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully reaps bountifully. 
This is true because God lays it out. So we have to ask ourselves, thinking big picture, thinking principles of our lives, am I sowing righteousness? What does it say in James? A harvest of righteousness is, is reaped by those who what? Sow peace. Would you describe, who would describe the world in 2023 as just abounding in peace? You turn on the news channels and you're like, wow, look at that peaceful conversation. You turn on your favorite sports talk show and you're like, wow, look at that peaceful dialogue. No, the world is not abounding in peace. So Christians, are we sowing peace? When we enter into a conversation, when we enter into a workplace, when we enter into a neighborhood, when we enter into a relationship, are we sowing peace? Are we sowing joy? Are we sowing patience? Are we sowing faithfulness, goodness? Are we making this effort in our lives? to live in such a holy way. This is inextricable from the concept of this whole section of the letter. And then as he continues, what does he come to? He comes to the heart of the matter. He comes to the heart of what God is looking for in his people when they're approaching giving, when they're approaching this concept of the physical aspects of their lives. What does he say in verse 7? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Quick word study. When it says God loves a cheerful giver, the, the word there, the original word means God's, God approves, God prefers. God does not stop loving if you give reluctantly. Like this is not saying like, hey, I will only love you if that, like God loves perfectly. That word means God prefers, God approves. So is it possible for a Christian to give in a way that God does not approve of? Yes. You could be our single biggest financial contributor in this church. You could be funding, and I, we don't know, you could be funding 99% of our budget. And if you are doing it begrudgingly and bitterly, God disapproves. That is not what he loves. That is not what he prefers. You could be our single smallest giver in this church. And if you are doing it with a holy heart in the right way that God has called you to, he approves. So that's what that's getting at, okay? It's not a matter of, oh, God loves me more. It's, no, what does God call us to? What does he approve of? What does he disapprove of? And it says in Scripture, in this passage, God approves of, God prefers a cheerful, willing giver. Not under compulsion, and again, we see this throughout Scripture. He's looking for his people's heart. He's looking for his people's genuine desire. This is never about, okay, well, I have to. This is, no, this is where my heart is. Look at Scripture. Deuteronomy 15.10 is talking about how God's people relate to one another. We looked at Deuteronomy 15 a couple weeks ago because this is talking about the year of forgiveness to to summarize it, where every, you know, every so often you forgave all debts. And if anybody owed you anything, doesn't matter, wiped out, debt canceled. And so it's talking about in this section of Deuteronomy, it's say, hey, if you know that's coming up, if you know that that forgiveness of debts is coming up, don't be begrudging to your brother. Don't be withholding to someone who needs help. And it says this, it says, Give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this... The Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. 
1 Chronicles 29, 9-17. The temple has been built. The temple has been consecrated. And Solomon's praying for the temple, for the work that's gone into this, for what the people have done and contributed to this. And he says, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord. I'm sorry, not Solomon, David. David the king also rejoiced greatly. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. This is worth celebrating. Not, oh, fine. If he'll stop talking, I'll throw another 20 in. No, it's, this is a celebration. This is a privilege. This is a joy. I choose to do this. I want to do this. It's not about, okay, if you're going to make me, I have to. God's concerned with the heart. Proverbs 22.9, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Romans 12, 6 and 8, having gifts, talking about the body, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Remember Mario's sermon? We referenced it a little bit ago. It's tied back to grace. It's tied back to God's grace, which he has poured out on us, which we are called to behold and then reflect. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And it goes on. What is one of these specific gifts? The one who contributes in generosity. So Corinthians reminds us that when considering this concept of giving, of participating in the physical needs of the church, the big C church, the little C church, it's not about, all right, if I have to, if, if I want to be able to vote at membership meetings, so if that means I've got to give you money, fine. Like, no, it's where's your heart? Is your heart in this? Is your heart in, okay, Lord, it's yours. I give it to you freely. I give it to you joyfully. Because what is giving ultimately about? Is giving ultimately about money or time or resources? Not at all. What do we see in Corinthians that he lays out that giving is ultimately two key, essential, non-negotiable things? And if you've never heard these before, please pay attention. If you've never understood giving, please pay attention. Listen to what he says giving is about in 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, as we're understanding, as we're seeking to understand the concept of giving, the concept of proper financial stewardship, we have to understand giving is ultimately an expression of trust. Giving is ultimately an act of trust, an act of praise. What does it say in that passage over and over again? God who is sufficient for all things will make you abound in all things. He who supplies the seed will give so that you can give. So really what we have to ask ourselves is, do we know and trust God as all-sufficient? Do we know and trust God as provider? Do we know and trust God as sustainer? Do we know and trust God as giver? Well, I can't loan you this because I might need it. I can't supply this because what if I need it down the road? 
No, that's not the question. The question is, do I believe God is calling me to give this, to provide this, to engage with this? If I believe he is calling me to do this, then I'm saying, okay, Lord, I trust you to provide. I trust you to sustain. You say in your word, you are sufficient for all things at all times. I trust you. I take you seriously when you identify yourself as this in my life. Consider Psalm 23, verse 1. We did a long series. We did a six-week series, or an eight-week series on these six verses. We spent one whole week on these first, like, six words. The Lord is my shepherd. Actually, I think seven if I'm doing the math correctly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what that actually translates to? I lack nothing. Yahweh, Yahweh, God's name for himself, I am, is my shepherd. And because of this, I lack nothing I need. Everything I need, I have in Yahweh as my shepherd. My shepherd who is responsible for feeding me. My shepherd who is responsible for protecting me. My shepherd who is responsible for directing me, for leading me, for going ahead and preparing a place for me. I have everything I need in Yahweh. God, in his word, time and time again, reminds us that he is sufficient. What else do we see? Proverbs 38-9. to Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Okay, that makes sense. I could pray that. God, I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be someone of falsehood. I think we would all agree. That's a pretty easy prayer. That's a pretty easy plea to make before the Lord. What's he go on and say? He says, give me neither poverty, I like this, nor riches. Ooh. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. No show of hands. This is personal reflection time. Have we ever prayed for that raise to come through? Have we ever prayed for that bonus to be a little bit larger than we expected? Yeah, I've been there. I'll say that. I've been there. There have been times where I'm like, uh-oh, things are tight. If my grandma wants me to send a card in the mail tomorrow, that'd be great. I don't know if I've ever been willing to say, hey God, please don't let that raise come through. I'm good where I am, and I'm worried that if I had any more, I'd get cocky. I'm worried that if I had any more in my life, I would think I was doing well on my own. Lord, I'm worried that if I had any more in my life, if my house was any bigger, if my car was any newer or nicer, if I had any bit extra padding for more vacation, I'm worried that I would think I was self-sufficient. So Lord, please don't give me anything more. I mean, are we willing to pray that? Are we willing to go before the Lord and say, nope, today. God, if you, if you feed me today, I'm good. If you give me money, like if you take care of right now today, I'm good. Why? Because you are sufficient and I trust you. I trust you to provide. And I know that on either end, on either side, there are dangers of how I view you. There are dangers of how I approach you. There are dangers of how I reflect on who you are. And I don't want that. So Lord, keep me right in this spot of having just what I need so that I know you as sufficient. This is what God lays out in his word. Consider Matthew 6. This is a very popular passage. 
I don't want to say it's the most famous. There are a lot of ones that we say, this is the most famous, this is the most famous. Like, but this is a very popular passage. I'm going to guess that for a lot of us, this is not going to be the first time you've heard Matthew 6. But let's do something. Let's listen to it like we're hearing it for the first time, and then let's take it seriously. Because I think a lot of times we approach God's Word and we're like, oh yeah, I know that's in there. But no, really consider, do you take this part of Matthew, do you take Scripture seriously? Listen to what God says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. How many of us are tempted to say, whoa, that seems like pretty legitimate things to be anxious about? Like being anxious about, hey, I need to go on four vacations a year, that's, extra, that's absurd, right? Like that's just immature. But being anxious about, do I have food on the table? Do I have clothes on my back? That, that seems like a legitimate thing to be worried about. That seems like a totally fair thing to be stressed about. What does God say? He says, no, don't be anxious about what you eat. Don't be anxious about what you will drink. Don't be anxious about what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And listen to this, my friends. Are you not of more value than they? So you think God who provides for a bird isn't capable of providing for you? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You talk about a verse we need to take seriously? What would you do if you went to your doctor's appointment and they did all the tests, right, beep, 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 all the numbers come back and they're like, wow, you know what? You need to, you need to add some more stress and panic into your life. This just, you are, you are way too peaceful and patient of a person. I'm really concerned at how solid your numbers are. You just, I think you'd live a lot longer if you introduced more anxiety into your day-to-day. -day. <laughs> That's absurd. We literally laugh at this idea, but we need God to remind us, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It goes back to what are we sowing? Well, if we're sowing nothing but panic, if we're sowing nothing but hoarding, well, are we really going to be surprised when we reap nothing but anxiety and the need for more and more and more? Or if we're sowing righteousness, if we're sowing trust, if we're sowing peace, what's God say? Hey, I'm sufficient. I have you. This is who I am. This is who you need to know me as. 1 Timothy 6, 7-8. 
For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Do we know and trust God as giver, provider, sustainer? Giving is ultimately an expression of trust. We've looked at it, we're not going to look at it. The Bible calls us to give. So if God calls me to do something and I say, no, I'm unwilling, well, then I have to ask myself, why am I unwilling? Is it because I don't know and trust the Lord as sufficient? Corinthians lays this out, this beautiful reminder. I mean, this is not a beat you over the head with it. This is like a joyful passage. Think of these words. These verses are meant to be an encouragement. These verses are meant to be a reminder. Why do you think we paused and we emphasized, hey, you have infinitely more value than a bird? Well, yeah, that's obvious. I'm a human. Yeah, but we forget it. We forget it. We get overwhelmed by life. We get distracted by life, and we forget, and we need God to say, hey, slow down. Joe, you are infinitely more valuable to God than some flower in the field, and the flower's taken care of. Brother, he's got you. Like, we need God to remind us of this. So let's reread these verses and listen to the encouragement as God reminds us of who he is. He says, God is, uh, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He has distributed freely. In Scripture it says, who has first given to the Lord that the Lord must repay him? I mean, who among us can say, hey God, you owe me one? Think of your favorite evangelist. Think of your favorite person. Think of the person you're like, man, they impacted the world for Jesus more than anyone else. Guess what? God was not in their debt one cent. God was not in their debt one iota. He says, no, he has distributed freely. This is who he is. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. The story in Scripture that I love about this, I think the individual in Scripture, who for me most reminds me of this idea, is the little kid with a lunch his mom packed for him. I mean, if right now we've got a lot of moms in the room, I just know my wife and having a two-year-old, I'm guessing there are snacks in that bag right there. So I'm guessing more than one of you have food somewhere on your person or in this building. If I said, hey, we need to feed everyone in this room, you know, who can give me enough to feed, like, who, who's got stuff, right? We're adults. We're human. We'd start doing the math, and we'd be like, I've got a pack of peanut butter crackers. No way is that solving anything. And we would just sit back and we'd wait for someone else to do something. There was a crowd of thousands and thousands. And Jesus says to his apostles, hey, go find food for everybody from the crowd. And they come back and they're like, yeah, this kid gave us his bag lunch. And what does the sower do? Or uh, the, the kid sows, right? The kid says, hey, here it is. What does the one who gives the seed do? What does the ultimate authority do with it? 
What is the all-sufficient, all-good, all-provider, all What does he do with it? He feeds a multitude. Like, so when, when he says, look, he who provides, he who supplies seed, he will multiply your seed for a harvest of righteousness. I, I think of that kid. I mean, you talk about a cool takeaway. You talk about a cool lesson for him to like, hey, how was, how was the you know, thing today? I gave my lunch over and it fed a massive amount of people. That's a pretty cool moment. Guys, this is who God is. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we understand giving as an expression and an extension of trust? Because we have the privilege of knowing God as giver and sustainer. And then really, the other, I said there's two key, non-negotiable, inextricable components of giving. It's an expression of trust, and it's ultimately, at its heart, it's an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude and praise. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians again. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, this service, the collection, that's why we re-emphasize the beginning, this whole section is still talking about the collection, the physical collection of funds to provide for churches in need, to provide for family members in need. So the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Consider Kyle Eidelman. I love this quote. He wrote a fascinating book, God's at War, talking about idolatry and the battle for idolatry in our hearts. And he says, when we start to see all of our resources as God's, it helps us develop an attitude of gratitude that leads to a heart of worship. Deuteronomy 16, 17, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. What do we look at in Timothy? You brought nothing into this world. You're going to leave with nothing. So if you have anything, it's because God has given it to you, has blessed you with it. 1 Chronicles 29, 12-14, Both riches and honor come from God, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. What's happened that's led up to this just pouring out of praise, this expression of gratitude? People have given sacrifices to the Lord. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Everything is God's. So anything we give back, we are simply returning to the Lord as an expression of praise for the blessings He has heaped out on us. So when we give, it should not be, oops, uh, I forgot about it. It should be a, hey, no, 
I get to praise God. I get to look at the bounty He has poured out on my life, whatever that is. Whatever quantity that is, that's not what bounty is about. That's not what blessing is about. We get to look at what God has given us in generosity that we did not earn, that we do not deserve, that He has distributed freely, and we get to say, Lord, thank you for this. I am excited to praise you and give this back to you. What else does it say in Scripture? Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Luke 12.13-21, Jesus is telling a parable. And it's sparked because two brothers come to him and they're quarreling over money. And the one brother says to Jesus, hey, make the other brother, make him split the inheritance with me. He's got more than I do. Make him give it to me. Make him be generous towards me. And Jesus says, that's not the point. Are you kidding me? That's not what this is about. And he goes on and he tells a parable of a fool. Jesus calls this man a fool and he says there was a fool who accumulated more and more and more and he got bigger and bigger and he had more and more and more and he looked at all his grain, he looked at all his crops and he said, oh man, I don't have enough place to store all this. I'm doing so well, so I need to sell some things. I need to tear some stuff down. I need to build even bigger storehouses for all I have because I'm doing great. And then he dies that night. And Jesus says, no. The call is the last words of that section in Luke are, we're called to be, what Jesus says is, rich towards God. It comes back to praise. It comes back to worship. Romans 15, 26 and 27, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. It's about worship. It's about gratitude. It's about our heart. And then what that does when we respond accordingly, when we respond to God's blessing and we return it, it also leads to other people being grateful. Why do they talk about Macedonia and Achaia in this relationship, right? Because it's like, okay, these churches who have nothing recognize that God has given them all they need, so they've partaken in taking care of you, they've partaken in blessing you, and that in turn has caused you to glorify God and to praise God. So not only is your individual giving, my individual giving an act of worship, and it is, it should be, it should be my wife and I saying, wow, God has given us everything we need. We celebrate, we praise you with this. We give it back to you. Use it. That should be our approach. But then when we are blessed by others, when you are blessed by others, what that also does is it causes them to praise God. And we can say what we said a few weeks ago, Lord, we praise you because he has given to you all and you have returned generously for what we're working on, right? So like, not only is our own gratitude an opportunity to praise God, but then it creates this incredible, beautiful chain reaction that leads to the church as a whole praising God. It's, it's wonderful. As we express our trust, as we express our obedience and submission, it turns into corporate praise and gratitude. I mean, let's go back and reread the conclusion of all of this. He who multiplies, starting in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Giving is never about just the total size. Giving is never about whose number is bigger. Giving is never about whose number is more frequent. Giving is about grace. Giving is about trust. Giving is about praise and worship and gratitude. It's about a heart that is fully surrendered to the Lord in all aspects of our lives. So as we consider this, as we wrap up this section of the letter, let's read Psalm 107 and 112. Reflect on this. Reflect on what we've looked at in these two different messages. On grace, on gratitude. Read Psalm 107 and read Psalm 112. And then just ask yourself a question. Reflect. If you want to do it with your spouse, if you want to do it with your kids, if you want to bring your kids into the conversation, if you want to bring your family members into the conversation, but reflect. Do you use what you have to praise and worship God? Bank account, that's obvious. That's the first thing on our minds, right? No. You have a car. I'm guessing. Maybe you got a ride here. If you did, that's cool. Thank whoever brought you. What a wonderful way for them to use what they have to give you reason to praise God. But there's multiple cars out there. So if you have a car, are you using your car to praise and worship God? If you have a home, are you using your home to praise and worship God? I mean, what do you have? Are you using it to express gratitude to the Lord and to praise and worship Him and cause others to do the same? Let's be this holy church. Let's be this people that pursue these things. Why? Because God is sufficient in all things. And that's awesome. And so we really just have the privilege to know him as good and as provider. And we have the opportunity to praise him in that. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you. We praise you that we are here clothed. We praise you that we are here with the lights on and the air on because you have provided the funds to pay the bills. We praise you that we draw breath to sing because you have provided the lungs. We praise you that we have homes to return to. We praise you that we have lunches to return to. We praise you that you are sufficient for all things. And we are so, so grateful. So Lord, lead us in being people who trust you and who worship you with everything we have. Who are we? that we are able to return anything to you. Lord, all we're doing is giving back what's rightfully yours. So may you be praised in these things. Give us wisdom to steward well, both individually, as families, and as a church family, Lord. May we handle what you've entrusted us with in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.